I, I read an article this week that really intrigued me. It, it was uh, psychiatrists identify a fear of growing up. It seems that there is a term for that. Uh, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Jurassicophobia. And some kids apparently have a fear of, of growing up, of becoming an adult. Uh, this one case was reported in case reports in psychiatry, and the article said uh, it was about a case of a 14-year-old boy who tried hard not to grow up. The psychiatrist right? he does not eat because according to his own research, food contains nutrients needed for physical development. In addition, he adopted a stooped posture to hide his height and began to distort his voice using lower volume and higher pitch than usual. If people tell him that he's taller or older, he becomes extremely upset and cries. Due to restriction of food intake, he has lost weight, more than 25 pounds, and he is currently in the 25th percentile of his age for size. They did report that after some treatment, he was getting better, but he still has a problem and a fear of commitment and responsibilities that he thinks it will take to be an adult. I know a lot of kids like that. Fear of commitment and responsibility of what it will take to be an adult. My daughter, Caitlin, 22 years old now, she often says, I don't want an adult today. Uh, I feel like that when I get out of bed sometimes. I don't want an adult today. Uh, but we have to grow up. And, you know, people will look at you when you get a little bit older if you're still acting like a kid. Uh, we, we mature. We grow up. But did you know that the human brain is something that it doesn't fully develop till you're about 25 years old? Uh, they have done studies and they have found that the the prefrontal cortex, that is the place where it affects how we regulate our emotions, how we control impulsive behavior, how we ask, access risk, how we assess risk, and how we make long-term plans. That's why a lot of times you get four young boys in East Tennessee together, and you know, you're likely to hear the words, we ain't never done this before, and you know it's not going to end well because something in their brain, that little switch that says you ought to assess this risk of this before you try it, it hasn't developed yet and it doesn't turn off. So they, they have not matured and they have not grown up even though they may be in grown-up bodies. I want you to think today though about your spiritual maturity. Think about growing up as a spiritual person, as a believer and a follower of Christ. Because spiritual growth is important to those of us who are believers, those of us who believe in God. One teacher told a class, uh, uh, she said, look out the window and look up. Do you see God? Class said, no. He said, can you touch God? Class said, no. Then by that account, she said, there is no God. One little boy in the back of the room stood up and said, Ma'am, can you see your brain? She said, no. He said, can you touch your brain? She said, no. 
She said, then by your own account, you don't have one. And, and you know, maybe if you don't believe in God, uh, you need to check your brain a little bit. But if we do believe in God, there should be a desire to have spiritual growth uh, going on. Now, we're going to continue our series called Engage. Uh, you were given a brochure a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't get one, there are some more of these at the Welcome Center as you go out today. There's also a copy of our expanded three-year plan that we're going to go over tonight. As you leave today, you can pick one of those up and look over it before you come tonight. We hope everyone will come out and be part of our dessert fellowship tonight. And we're going to go through that plan a little bit. And we're going to give a chance to discuss uh, that around the tables as we, as we eat desserts tonight. But we're down to the second word on this page. You know, engage Jesus is our first target for our plan. And that, is, that has to do with discipleship. And we talked last week about doing that together. Today we're going to talk about growth. And what we put in this brochure says healthy things grow. Spiritual growth is essential in God's kingdom. Jesus calls every believer to take the next step in experiencing a deep and a full life in his footsteps. We seek to do this with one another in discipleship groups. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about what it means to grow. Um, believing in Christ also means following Christ. We don't want to just become believers in Christ, but we want to be followers of Christ. And Christ has called us to grow spiritually. And what that really means is becoming more Christ-like. That's what it is to grow spiritually, to become more Christ-like. We're going to look today at the early church and how they grew. So let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. This uh, book of Acts, of course, written by Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote. But the book of Acts records the beginning of the church and the history of the early church and, and how the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. And what we have here today is a whole group of people who were new Christians. They were, they were immature believers that we see in this text today how they began to grow. You know, when Peter preached in the earlier part of the book of Acts, 3,000 people joined the church that day. They were baptized. And they became part of this fellowship known as the church. Uh, and they began to grow. Let's look in Acts chapter 2. We'll begin at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I want you to see that the first church of the apostles helps us see 
spiritual growth. One thing you can say about the people in this passage, they were engaged in following Jesus. Uh, just like our title of our plan is engaged, these folks were engaged. They were engaged in spiritual growth. Look back, and we'll break this down, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, the first believers were devoted followers of Christ. First thing Luke says there, they devoted themselves. They were devoted disciples. You know, they, they, they dug in. What were they devoted to? First it says the apostles' teaching. You know, Jesus told the apostles before he left earth that he was going to remind them of everything he had taught them. Now, all they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been written at that time. And so their teaching was what became the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament, of course, was written by the apostles and many of the cohorts that worked with them as they spread the gospel. Eventually, we had the whole Bible that we have now, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And so the apostles had to teach the people what Jesus had given them to teach to the people. And they were devoted. They were, they were together and, and soaking up this teaching that the apostles gave. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, you know, the church's people. There was a, a, a large group, a, a corporate gathering. We read a little bit later there in the passage that they, they came together every day. Three times, it says in that passage, together. It uses that word together. Uh, they met, first of all, in the temple courts, which there was a place there where they usually met called Solomon's Colonnade. It was a long porch and it had columns, and it had a roof over it so they could meet there in inclement weather. And they met there, and they had this corporate worship service all together. They also met, it says, in their homes, uh, throughout the community. Uh, and and they, they came together in these various ways, and they were devoted to coming together. It says they were devoted to breaking of bread. That doesn't mean eating a meal. It's probably a reference to the Lord's Supper. When they came together, they took communion. They remembered, as Jesus had told them, to take this bread as a, as a symbol of my body, broken on the cross, and, and take this uh, juice as a symbol of my blood. So they came together to remember what Christ had done. And then it says they prayed. They were devoted to prayer. There was a strong emphasis in that early church on praying together. You know, the word praying, you would think it would be used more, but it's only used 37 times in the whole Bible. The word praying. Now, the word pray or prayed is used other, but praying is an active word. It means they're actually praying. 37 times in the whole Bible, but it's used seven times in the book of Acts, and that's more than it's used in any other book of the Bible. They were a praying bunch. They got together. And look at what happened. Acts chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that they grew to 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children they had. 
And in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. You see, they were devoted, and this church began to grow. Uh, they engaged Jesus. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit began to work among them. And these new believers begin to mature and they begin to bring more people into the church. You know, there's a, there's a word for that spiritual maturity, a theological word. It's used in the Bible several times. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is the process where a person is separated and forgiven from their sins, but it, it's a process of growing in holiness and it's maturing spiritually and in the Bible Peter talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit the Holy Spirit has a place in leading us to uh, that maturity in 1 Peter 1 2 it says it leads us to obedience grace and peace in the believer and Jesus prayed in John 17 17 sanctify them by your word and so the Word and the Spirit work together. Of course, the Word he's talking about is the Word of God. But you know that word Spirit? That's another word that's used often in the book of Acts. The word is used 563 times in the Bible, 193 of those in the Old Testament, and 370 in the New Testament. But it's also used 67 times in the book of Acts, more than any other book of the Bible. This summer, we're going to do a series and we're going to look through the book of Acts and see how the Spirit worked in the early church. But it plays a big part in the discipleship of a Christian and the maturity of a Christian as you seek and you follow the Word of God and the Spirit works in that to help bring maturity. You know, one of the things that we have in our, in our three-year plan is what we're calling a discipleship pathway. And we're going to give you a pathway that you can follow, that you can really grow spiritually. Some classes that you can attend, some small groups that you can get involved with, where there will be specific teaching about the things that you need to learn if you're going to grow spiritually. We hope that everyone, when we, when we get that all uh, in place and, and up and running, we'll take advantage of that. But we see the Spirit and the Word of God work together to help people grow. I was reading this week uh, about what it takes to, to come to excellence in a particular field. Uh, studies have been done, uh, and, and what they found is if someone wants to really be good at something, the key to it is commitment. What they studied was athletes and musicians. And one study was done of young musicians who were just starting out taking up an instrument. And they followed these students for a long period of time. And what they found was that those that became really proficient in the playing of a specific instrument, it didn't depend on what their IQ was, or what their oral sensitivity, that is their hearing, or what their math skills, or their income, or their sense of rhythm. But the best single predictor was 
how long do you plan to play the instrument? And some said, well, I just want to take it up for a little bit and see if I like it. And then there were some that said, well, I'll probably play for a few years. But what they found is those that excelled in learning the instrument were those that said, well, I want to play this the rest of my life. And they were committed to learning how to do it. You know, it's the same way with discipleship. It's those who are devoted, those who are committed that grow in spiritual maturity and become what the Lord wants them to become. Now look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. You see, the believers shared with one another and the community. You notice it says they were filled with awe. There was this excitement. They were in awe of what God was doing. Uh, you know, when God starts to work, it gets, it gets people excited. But you know what you can do? You can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Stephen, who was one of the early deacons in the church, preached a sermon in Acts chapter 7. He was mostly preaching to the people who had not accepted Christ that were part of the old Jewish guard. And they were against Stephen. And Stephen preached a pretty straightforward sermon about them and how they should turn to Christ. And at the end of his sermon, he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. They weren't coming to Christ. The Spirit was working, but they were resistant to that Holy Spirit. But those who got it, those who were open to it, they didn't resist the Spirit. And they began to grow and become devoted disciples. They are the ones that saw the wonders and the signs that the apostles were doing. And they shared. They, they got involved together with the church. And they began to share their time and their talent and their treasure. You know, it says here they had everything in common. Now, some people have tried to say that was communism or socialism. But that's not what they were practicing. Uh, they didn't pool all their money and then divide it up equally. But they did. Some of them sold property. They didn't all sell their property. Some of them still had houses. But what it's talking about is this unity of working together to get the Word of God out to the community so people could come to know Jesus Christ. There was this togetherness and this unity, and there was that devotion to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. And things happened. And they helped one another, and the church grew. They had good leaders in the apostles. I heard Stuart Briscoe, a famous author and Christian pastor, tells a story about a young preacher who was doing a funeral service. And at this funeral service, and part of it, uh, the, the deceased was a, a former career military man, and there were going to be some military men that wanted to pay their respects during his funeral service, and the young preacher was going to lead them in to the service, and then he was going to introduce them, and they were going to say some things about this military man, and then the young preacher was going to lead them out the other side of the funeral home. Well, he was new to the area, and he didn't know the funeral home very well. And after they did their presentation, he began to lead them, and he led them right into a broom closet. Now, I'm not a young preacher, 
but I am your preacher, and I hope I don't lead you into a broom closet. I have a, a lot of elders that help lead and, and work with me, and, and we want to lead you, though, into the community to take the Word of God and the Spirit of God and to begin to make a difference in our community so that we reach people with the Word of Christ and we begin to follow the moving of that Spirit and we want to be more involved in the community. Now we'll say more about this when we get over to the next panel in your brochure to panel number two and target number two uh, which is community involvement and engaging Bristol. But I want you to see that these guys were engaged in Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus. And this is where it took them, into the community. Well, verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The believers met together both corporately and in small groups. Can, can you imagine what it was like to attend a worship service in the temple? I can imagine that they had instruments there, they sang songs. You know, these three to 5,000 people that the church had grown to, gathering together and singing and praising God. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear the Apostle Peter preach a sermon? Or John lead a Bible study. And, and, and they came together and there were miraculous events happening among the people. They were excited. You get the sense that they were excited. In fact, in the early days, they met every day, it says. They're in the temple courts. Later on, the practice began to only meet the first day of the week as the whole church but it also says they met from home to home. Now, all 5,000 couldn't get in one home, so they were smaller groups that met from house to house. That's how they did their teaching together. You know, we really want to beef up our small group program here at Central, and we're going to work on that, and we've, we've got some plans. We already have four homes and four leaders that are going to start small groups very soon in that meet in homes. We're still going to have some small groups on Wednesday night and some that meet other days here at the church throughout the week. But we're going to beef up this, this idea of meeting from house to house. And we want those groups to stay around 12 people, no more than 12. We think discipleship best happens in a small group. When those groups grow bigger, then we're going to multiply. And they will become two groups at some point and and then they will multiply, and we'll get more and more. Kitty Barker has agreed to, uh, to help lead the small group program and organize that, and you're going to hear more about it tonight. Do you start to get the picture in this early church of what was happening? That there was this excitement, and that the people had engaged the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to that teaching. They, they were devoted to the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit began to work, and the church grew. You know, I want you to think about that Holy Spirit for just a minute because it plays a big part in spiritual growth. I'm sure some of you are asking, why they got that ship up there? And this was given to me some time ago by one of our church members. I won't call names, but 
I think it's beautiful. It stays in my office. But you notice the many sails on this ship. And if you think about the spirit being like the wind, you know what the wind does? It propels the ship. It's what makes the ship go forward. More sails you put up, more wind you catch, faster you can go. You know, in your spiritual walk, if you put up different sails to catch the wind of the Spirit, you will grow. What are those different sails? Well, studying your Bible and praying to God regularly and attending worship and being part of a small group. And each time you put up one of those sails, you catch more wind of the Spirit and you begin to grow and you become more and more what God has in mind for you to become on this earth. You know, God just didn't come and save you so you would get to heaven. He wants you to be a disciple who reaches out to other people and helps bring them to discipleship. And that's the plan and that's the culture that we want to create here at Central Christian Church, that we become disciples who make disciples. Well, here's our connection. As the spiritual maturity of the church grew, the number of those who came to north know the Lord grew also. You know, it's my hope that we catch the wind of the Spirit, that we engage what God wants to do, and that we begin to grow both numerically and spiritually as we go forward in the wind of the Spirit. I was reading this week an article called The Cost of Discipleship Was Too High. Lord Kenneth Clark at one time was internationally known for his television series, Civilization. Lord Kenneth Clark died without ever knowing the Lord. In his autobiography, he wrote and he admitted that he had once attended a beautiful church. And he said he had an overwhelming religious experience while he was in that church. Here's what he wrote. My whole being was irritated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever known before. But, he said, the flood of grace, as he described it, created a problem. If he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. His family might think he had lost his mind, and maybe that, the, that intense joy would prove to be an illusion. So he, included, he concluded, and this is what he wrote, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. Don't be a Lord Ken Clark. He missed what God had in store for him, and he never grew spiritually. Catch the wind of the Spirit, and let that begin to work in your life so that you grow in the grace and the knowledge that Peter called us to, that you follow your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you become a disciple who helps make more disciples, who help make more disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your love, for your spirit, the way it works in our lives as we seek to know Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you give us. 
Now help us now to have this desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to move forward in our spiritual walk so that we become all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, I pray and praise. Amen.